Right, well, good to be back with you guys tonight. <clears throat> Originally, Rory wasn't going to be here, and, and now he's here, but we already had this planned, and so we're just moving ahead with what we would had planned. And I think we were last back in uh, November, so it's been a little while since we've been back to <clears throat> just share with you. So I want to do a couple things, like Rory said, just give you an update as to what's going on in Lapine and just what, what God's been doing there, and then just share a little bit with you uh, from the Word. And interestingly enough, I was, I was kind of wrestling the last couple of days with, you know, gosh, I know we're going through Galatians as well, and just, you know, what, what to share with you guys. And just as I'm looking around, I see a lot of, a lot of you that I don't know, <laughs> which is cool, uh, because just kind of what the Lord led me to this week, I was a little bit worried, like, is this going to be, you know, kind of rehashing stuff that's maybe been, been hashed too much, and just kind of looking around the room, maybe, you know, some of this stuff might be new to some of you guys, and so I'm just excited to be able to share with you guys, uh, just kind of in a real broad sense, what, what the church is, and, and just to bring some context as to maybe why we do some of the things that we do. So, uh, so that's what I'd like to do uh, tonight. <clears throat> all right, so uh, yeah, so, so just to give you guys an update as to what's been going on with Pine, because you guys, uh, whether all of you know it or not, the, the church has been a financial support to us and uh, enabling us to go down there and, and to do what we do, and we're, we're very thankful uh, for that and for God's provision and thankful for you guys. And I know, uh, even if you're not aware uh, that the church has been a financial support, I know many of you have uh, supported us just with prayer and well wishes and get to talk to some of you guys now and then. Matter of fact, Nate was down to visit us not long ago and got to spend a weekend together. And uh, just, you guys have given us uh, tremendous support, financial support, prayer support, and and otherwise. And so uh, just excited to be able to share some of the good things that that God is doing. And so, as Rory mentioned, the the church was without a a pastor for about two and a half years, uh, just through the course of some circumstances. And so during that time, there was a group uh, of men from here and a group of men from Calvary Bend, and we just made a rotation and went down there uh, quite often over about two and a half years before uh, you know God called our family to be there. And so we've been there for about a year and a half now. We moved uh, just at the first of the year in 2015, so about a year and five months, almost a year and a half. And uh, during during that time, it's just been a really neat, uh, I think, season of transition in the church because. Because we had known them for as long as we did, and they knew us, we all kind of knew what we were getting into. So it made, I think, for a pretty smooth transition. It wasn't, you know, a bunch of strangers trying to get to know each other. We kind of already had that part out of the way. Uh, and so we were able to just kind of roll up our sleeves right away and, and just get to work with with vision that the Lord had given us that really started here with this vision of uh, making disciples who are sent out into the world to embody and proclaim the gospel. And because that's a work that God did here, we were able to take that vision for ministry down to Lapine. And just because of the nature of how things were in Lapine, uh, I think for that two and a half years without really any kind of formal leadership, that the church became kind of inward, if you will, and not, not even in a negative way necessarily, but I think there was just this mentality of, you know, we just don't die. You know, keep the doors open. Don't, don't fold. We need to stick together. And so just it was a very inward kind of a focus, and understandably so, uh, there, there was an affinity among the people. Like, they just kind of liked each other. They liked being together. They enjoyed one another's company. And, and because of that, they, they stuck together when, I mean, even we questioned at times, like, you know, does God want to shut this thing down if, if you know, nobody's stepping up to lead it? And, and we talked about that. And, you know, God had a different plan. And so over this last year and a half that we've been there, we've seen a shift in the mentality of the, the mentality no longer is, you know, don't die and stay together at all costs. But, but the mentality is now becoming, uh, you know, how can God use this small church in a rural town? I mean, you know, if we have 50 people on a Sunday, that, that's a lot. And uh, I'm on the young end by, by a mile. <clears throat> We've got a lot of older, retired folks and 
I mean, 60 is kind of young in our church, but people that just kind of have youthful spirits about them and youthful zeal. And, and so this mentality has started to shift from, you know, not, not just being a group of affinity, but being a group that's centered around a common vision and a common mission of taking the gospel into the world. And, and so we have, uh, for some of you that don't know, right across the street from where we're at, we have a, an RV park. And it's like people live there full time. It's, it's not a vacation RV park. It's kind of run down. And a lot of the RVs in the park <clears throat> are probably never going to move because they're just immobile. And it, it's kind of sketchy. The sheriffs are there all the time, and, and you can just, you know, when you see the people out, you can just tell that, you know, a lot of people, their lives have just been ruined by drugs and those kinds of things, but they're right across the street from us, and so our, our people in our church, they're kind of putting two and two together, thinking, well, God has, has put these people right in front of us, maybe, maybe we should love our neighbors, and, you know, how do we literally love our neighbors, and, and it's hard, and we wrestle through it all the time of, you know, do we walk across the street and just strike up an awkward conversation and fight through it? Or, or what do we do when it's cold? Do we take coats over there, which we've done, and, and we've been able to have some conversations with people, and, and it's great. But, but again, it's just this mentality is, is starting to, to shift where people are realizing, like, we have built-in opportunities, uh, not only in Cambodia, which I'll talk about in a minute, but built-in opportunities across the street of people who, who need the message of the gospel. They need to have some good news in their life. And so... So it's just been really neat to just kind of slowly see the shift in mentality uh, over this last year and a half, and, and it's directly attributable uh, just to the work that God started here and has now has carried on to Lapine. And so you all, uh, whether directly or indirectly, have been a part of that, uh, whether you realize it or not. And so just I'm here just to say thank you for that and just give God much praise and much glory for the good work that, that he started here uh, that is now carrying on and continues not only here but in Lapine uh, as well. We had a, a gentleman just a couple weeks ago, uh, his name's Jimmy, and he's, uh, <clears throat> he does a lot of behind-the-scenes things in our church, and he's, he's a really cool guy. Um, he would take the shirt off his back and give it to you right now if you had a need. He's just that, that kind of a guy. Um, and and he's, uh, he calls himself freezer burnt because he did a lot of drugs in his younger years, and so uh, he just kind of suffers from maybe overdoing it uh, when he was younger. Uh, and so, so he, he does a lot of things uh, in service to people that, that nobody ever sees and just a, just a neat guy. And he, uh, <clears throat> he came up to me a couple weeks ago and asked me on a Sunday morning if he could give an announcement. And so I asked him, well, Jimmy, what is it that you want to announce? And he said, well, I, I don't want to spoil the surprise. I just, I just have something I need to share. <laughs> and so I <clears throat> graciously told him, I, I'm going to need to know the surprise because I don't like surprises. So tell me, tell me what you want to share. And... <clears throat> We just came off of this series where we talked about world missions, and <clears throat> the McKinnons came down and shared their story along with uh, Lukers. They came down, and uh, Sean Vaughn came down, and a few others. And, uh, and so Jimmy was really impacted by this series of world missions where we just talked about what it is to go. And he, he came up to me, and he was kind of frustrated, and he says, you know, we, we talk about the fact that, that God sends us into the world, and, and I really feel like I need to go across the street and I'm scared to death, and I just want to stand up in front of the church and ask somebody if they'll go with me because I don't want to do it by myself. And so, like, this, the light bulb came on for Jimmy, you know, part of that shift I mentioned, uh, and just for him to stand up in front of the church and say, I'm scared to death to walk across the street and have a conversation with somebody that's not like me. Will somebody go with me? Uh, and just he, in, in his own kind of goofy sort of way, encouraged the body, like, this is, this is what we need to do. This, we, we can talk about it all we want. But at the end of the day, we, we either do it or we don't. And, and so he stood up there and just encouraged the body, like, this is what we need to do, and I'm going to do it, but I need help. 
And it just was really, really neat. And it was just kind of, a, it was a touching moment. And, and it would have been neat if anybody would have shared that. But the fact that it came from this particular guy, uh, it just really was an impactful, you know, kind of a thing. And it just, like I said, just shows kind of this shift in mentality uh, that's been happening. And so, so we have some people that have a real heart to just be a light in our community and reach out into our community. The church has been in the community since, I think, 2002 or three, if I remember right. Uh, and a lot of the community doesn't know it's there, and our people are realizing like that that's not good. We need to make ourselves known uh, in the community, and not so people can think well of us, but just that we have good news, and we have a message to deliver, and we need to be a part of what's going on in the community. And so, so there's a real heart for that, which is pretty neat. Uh, the, the other neat update I wanted to share with you, just in terms of uh, our connection to Cambodia, uh, we have a gentleman named Steve, and he's, he's a disabled Vietnam vet and just a guy with a big heart. Uh, got a big heart for uh, Cambodia and that part of the world just because of his service in Vietnam. And uh, <clears throat> He's older and has lots of health problems, and his trips to Cambodia are kind of winding down. He, uh, he got connected there about seven or eight years ago with a Calvary Chapel ministry called Water of Life, uh, and it started out as an orphanage for boys. Uh, I think they came into existence in 2007 or 8, somewhere around there, and Steve connected with them shortly thereafter. And he's been going there uh, at least once a year for about a month. Uh, some years he goes twice and just sends a lot of financial support to them and, and just has a big heart for the boys that grew up in this orphanage. And so over the years, they've kind of shifted from being just an orphanage to now they have a ministry where they put boys through college that kind of go through the orphanage and kind of age out of the orphanage. So they, they put boys through college and make sure they get an education, which that's pretty significant in Cambodia. Uh, a lot of people are, are uneducated, and it just brings lots of barriers to other, other things in life. So, so they have that, and they now have a, a girl's house, and I forget the name of it, but they work with girls who've been coming out of sex trafficking and things like that, uh, which is another significant issue in Cambodia. So it started out as a small orphanage, and, and just as time has gone on, they're, they're doing more and more. And so... Uh, we kind of put it out to the church not long ago, probably four or five months ago, um, towards the, the end of uh, this last year that, you know, are we going to let this thing die because Steve can't go anymore? Uh, the church has been supporting him, but it's basically been his thing. And he's been going kind of out of his own pocket and his own time and his own resources and things like that. And, and uh, some people in the church stepped up and said, we don't want to let this thing die just because Steve isn't able to go anymore. And so... Uh, we put a call out to the church of, you know, who would be interested in taking a trip to Cambodia. And again, we've got, you know, mostly an older congregation, a lot of retirees and, and just a lot of health issues and, you know, bad backs and, and bodies with aches and pains. And uh, we had 13 people show up to our first interest meeting to go to Cambodia. And, and it was kind of neat because there were, some people showed up saying, you know, we, we have the time. Uh, time's not an issue and, and, you know, the cost is not an issue and we just we want to go no matter what. So we had a few people that just said, you know, we don't need to fundraise or anything. We just, we're going to go. And we had some other people that said, well, you know, maybe, maybe God's calling us in that direction, but, but money's kind of an issue. And so we need to, you know, kind of pray about that and work through that. And uh, one guy in particular showed up to the Cambodia meeting and said, uh, I've learned in the past that if you say no to the Cambodia meeting, God's going to tell you you're going to Cambodia. So I'm here uh, and we'll see what God does. <laughs> so... I don't know how many people we're going to end up taking to Cambodia, but, you know, maybe eight to ten people if I, if I had to guess. And we have that planned for the first couple of weeks of December, uh, Lord willing. Uh, you know, we've got to do some fundraisers and some things and figure out, you know, how to pay for it. But just, just really neat in this, this small body in rural Lapine uh, that enough people would step up and say, yeah, maybe God could use us that way. Uh, and again, it's because 
because no longer the mentality is no longer you know don't fold the mentality is you know what what can god do to use us and maybe maybe the small church with with barely any resources maybe god could use us to have an impact on the other side of the world and so it's just been really really cool uh to be a part of that and, and to get to see that happen and so we're in the process of making our plans uh we've connected with uh this orphanage there again called water of life if you want to uh, google them and check them out uh, it's a Calvary Chapel run ministry. It's part of Calvary Chapel Phnom Penh, which is the capital city of Cambodia. Uh, and and kind of unlike Nepal, we're not going to be trekking through the mountains out in the, the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's going to be very, very urban and in the middle of a large city. Uh, it's going to be the majority of our work. But, but even uh, on the outskirts of this city, you know, there are villages that are, like, uh, we watched a documentary not long ago that talked about a village that's in the dump, like literally in the dump. Uh, there's two villages, one on each side of this dump, but this one village is like right in the middle of the garbage. And I don't know how many people live there, but they wake up every day and they consider it their job to go rummage through the dump to find anything that can be of use to them or anything that they could sell to get money, and that's just the way that they live, uh, literally in, in the dump. And so, so while most of what we do is going to be uh, in an urban context, you know, there's going to be a little bit of outreach into places like that. And so we're, we're still, like I said, kind of making plans as to what we're actually going to do when we get there. Um, <clears throat> we're planning on purchasing plane tickets probably sometime in July, and that'll be the point that we know for sure who's going to go, whoever buys a plane ticket's going to go. And so once we kind of know for sure who's going to go, we can figure out kind of the skill set that we have represented among all of the people that are committed and then start to make plans as to what we might actually accomplish while we're there if we would take on a project. But certainly a big part of what we're going to do is be working with kids in this orphanage uh, and just, you know, just being of encouragement to the kids that are in this discipleship program. Uh, we're going to be looking at how we can work with the older boys that have kind of aged out of the orphanage and are going to college. Uh, finances to, to pay for college is a pretty, pretty significant issue there. And so we're going to be looking at what we can do for that. And, and maybe some of our fundraising between now and then might help to, to fund some of these boys to get an education so they can actually... Uh, have some kind of a productive life in Cambodia. Um, and so that's kind of the short of it, but, but it's, been, it's been neat because we've had uh, three different meetings now in regards to Cambodia. And one thing that we have been doing is uh, once a month, uh, starting in January, we have a potluck after church. The McKinnons actually joined us for one of our potlucks. And uh, a lot of people go out to lunch after church. And so we just ask people one time a month to not go out to lunch, stay for the potluck and Whatever you would have spent on lunch, just contribute it to the Cambodia Fund. And so after three lunches, we've raised almost $1,000 now to go towards our trip. And we have a, we have a goal to raise $9,000 uh, before we go. And so that puts us about 10% of the way there, uh, which is pretty exciting. <clears throat> and so we're going to continue those. Matter of fact, our, our next potluck is this Sunday. So you guys can pray that we would have a good, good turnout and it would be a good fundraiser. Uh, and it, it was neat when you guys, I don't know if I got to really talk with you guys, Mark and Casey, after you left, but... There was a lot of buzz just from your guys' family being there with the free offs. I mean, it kind of doubled our attendance almost for a Sunday. <laughs> but, but what was really neat is that uh, there was just this vibrance on that Sunday when you guys were all there that kind of normally isn't there. Not that it's normally not vibrant, but you guys kind of brought an extra level uh, just of, of noise and life and bodies. And <laughs> it's a, it is, this is a totally a compliment. <laughs> And, and so kind of the week after you guys left, uh, you know, I got a couple phone calls of people just saying, man, that was really cool that, the, A, the church was full. Uh, matter of fact, I don't think we had enough seats for all of the free-offs to sit down uh, when they came in for service. 
uh, but just the kind of the thought of the people was that it was full, and so that was pretty neat. Uh, you could hear the congregation singing very you know, louder than normal just because of the extra voices. Uh, and then the fact that you guys stayed, just people thought that was really neat to get to know you guys and to have kids you know, running around and doing what they were doing. And so it just was a really special time that you guys uh, blessed us with. And so I wanted to make sure tonight that you guys knew that the people really thought that. Right? We're, we're not used to having that many kids, you know, aside really from my own. And so to have you know, just so many kids with you guys in the free offs and you know, kind of the age range of all the kids, that, that was just really, really special. So thank you guys for coming down. And uh, any, I know you guys have a lot of kids. Anytime you want to come down and bring kids, our, our church would absolutely love it. Uh, they, they like kids a lot. And <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so we're making plans uh, for Cambodia. And, and what's been, again, especially cool is that we, we've kind of built this as, as, as I'm sure you guys have here too, that it's not just an effort of those that would go. Uh, it's an effort of the entire body. And we're calling the entire fellowship to get behind the effort. Uh, not everybody's willing to go first and foremost, and that's okay. That's okay if somebody doesn't want to go. Uh, not everybody's able to go, and that's okay. I think we've got a couple people that kind of feel bad that just due to health issues that it's not wise for them to go, and they feel kind of bad that like they want to be a part of it, you know. But that's okay. But, but everybody, everybody is called to participate in some way, whether that's praying, whether that's you know, helping with the preparation, uh, whether that's contributing financially, whatever it is, we're just calling the entire church to be a part of the effort. And, and uh, thus far, it seems like everybody's kind of stepping up and realizing this is an effort of our church. So whether you go or whether you stay, really, really doesn't matter as much as that everybody's a part of it. And, and so that, that's been a really, really neat thing as well. Um, <clears throat> we've decided to set aside some money in our, in our, just our general fund, our general budget for the church to help offset some cost. And uh, I, I didn't realize this until the first of the year, but, but the church has never had a budget. I knew we didn't currently have a budget, but I assumed there was one somewhere in the past. And I come to find out the church has never had a budget. And that was a project that we undertook in December and January is to develop a budget. And uh, one of the things that we prayed in, in this process is that we would exercise faith and wisdom together, uh, not, not one or the other. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. God gives both. And so we prayed in our budget process for faith and for wisdom and that we would find where those two things intersect. And as we were putting together the budget, uh, there was just this general feeling that we need to devote some money to help offset the cost of those that would go to Cambodia. And so we committed $2,400 out of our general budget, which for us, that's a, that's a pretty significant amount. I mean, our, our annual budget for our church is less than probably most of your guys, your individual household incomes. And so, you know, for us to set aside $2,400, I was surprised when somebody threw out that number. <laughs> Here, I'm the one calling us to faith, and then someone says that, and I'm the one saying, wait, are you sure about that? <laughs> and, and, but, but we committed to that. And, and one of the other neat things that came out, I don't even know if I share this with you, Rory, but... Uh, just through the, the process of, you know, just talking about missions, we set aside some money uh, to go kind of directly across the street to the folks there that, that we want to love on. Uh, but one of the guys brought up, even though they, they've never met uh, Kathy Vaughn, uh, they, they all know Kevin down there and they know Sean. And so one of the guys asked about, hey, what, what, about, what about Kevin's mom and Sean's mom? Should we think about maybe trying to help her out in some way? And and I've, ne I've never brought her up, never talked about it or anything. Just one of the guys had it on his heart to ask. And so we got a hold of Kathy and just said, hey, I don't, I don't know how we can help, but what are your needs? And, and so it looks like we're going to be diverting some funds there uh, as well. And, and, and again, just, just really neat to see the faith of, of our guys who, who maybe had more faith in that moment than I did. 
because uh, I'm the one saying, wait, hold on a minute, we're, we're getting a little crazy here with our, with our budget, but, but they wanted to do it, and, and it was just really, really neat, and so uh, I forget the exact number, but I, I want to say 40-some percent of our annual budget is you know, going towards missions of some sort, which is just really neat, and, and that to me was just really reflective of uh, a church and, and reflective of the leaders who are serious about embodying and proclaiming the gospel making disciples who are sent out, whether it's across the street or whether it's on the other side of the world, uh, to do so. And so it's just been really a great encouragement uh, just to see God move in the hearts of the people. And as we presented that to the church, the church was resoundingly behind the budget, uh, even though, again, I, I kind of thought it was ambitious, but the fellowship as a whole, uh, you know, really stepped up and said, yeah, you know, God, give us faith that this is what you're calling us to and give us wisdom to wisely steward the limited resources that we do have. And so, so it's just really neat to see, see God continuing to, to unify the church. And, and it's not any longer about affinity. That, that it's, we're centering around a common vision for ministry. And people are starting to realize that you know, we, we exist in this world as Christians, not, not so we can meet as a church and, and live in a bubble uh, and be separate from the rest of the world, but, and, and that Christianity or Christianity isn't internal. But when you read, especially through the book of Acts, you see Christianity being very external and very very outward and serving and giving and sacrificing and all of those kinds of things. And so we're, we're seeing that shift. The shift continues to happen. It's not an overnight shift. Uh, it continues to happen. So uh, just quite, quite exciting. Uh, one other thing I wanted to share in, just in way of an update is, uh, you know, people always ask, Paul asked me a little while ago, you know, is the church growing? And that, you know, a lot of people ask that question and, uh, yes, the, the church is growing. We're, we're not busting at the seams, you know, in our numbers, um, and that's okay. You know, it's, you know, I'm a firm believer that, that God's plan to grow the church is, is to make disciples, not, not to be cool or hip or not to have a, a better marketing campaign than the church down the road, but that you make disciples who make disciples, and, and that's a, a process that happens sometimes over long periods of time, and, and I just really have the conviction that's, that that's how God grows the church, and uh, we're, we're seeing that happen. We have uh, one family that's come back to the church who used to be part of it before I was ever connected to it, and so I, I didn't previously know them. But uh, uh, this the guy in particular used to be an elder in the church years ago, and as things kind of came to an end under the founding pastor, things kind of ended badly, and this guy was kind of left holding the bag, and just kind of a lot, lot of hurt happened through that process, and uh, they left the church. And uh, kind of their story is that they never fellowship anywhere else. They just kind of always considered Calvary Chapel of Pine their church, and so they thought if they're not going to be part of that, they're not going to be part of anything else, and so they were just kind of out there on their own for probably five or six years, and uh, one of our guys, we we have a Saturday morning men's Bible study, and one of our guys one morning said, hey, I ran into so-and-so in the grocery store, and uh, man, I really miss seeing him, and all the guys started talking about, well, maybe we should call him and let him know that we miss him, (laughs) and so a few guys made the phone call, and and now they're back and a part of the fellowship, and and, uh, you know, just God has, has allowed hurts to be healed, and you know, they, they shared with me at one point that they feel like kind of that chapter has been closed and they've been able to kind of move past some of the hurt that happened, uh, you know, previous to me being there. And, and it's just neat to see God doing that work. And so that's really encouraging. Uh, and, and we have a few people who kind of that's their story. Not, not that they were part of our church necessarily in the past, but have been hurt in the past in their other churches. And, and somehow they found us and, and God is allowing us to work with them just through past issues and past hurts and, and even there seeing a mentality shift of what it means to be a part of a church 
And so, so that's just exciting to get to be a part of. And that's not something I would have expected to happen necessarily. Like as we were preparing to move to Lapine, I wasn't thinking, oh, you know, maybe, maybe God will use us to help people that have past hurts to heal. And we've got kind of a few families that that's their story. And so it's just really neat to, you know, you kind of put all these things together and it just really, really paints a neat picture of what God's doing in Lapine. And, and so we would just cover your prayers that... Uh, you know, God would continue to send the right kind of people our way, and by right kind of people, I don't necessarily mean the lovely people of society. If you know, if we we were talking about this one Saturday morning, if it were up to us to go out and, and pick people who would be a part of our church, we would probably pick the lovely of society. You know, the people who we feel like would have something to contribute, and the people that that don't smell and don't have raggedy clothes. You know, those kinds of things. Yet all around us, God has put you know the people that we wouldn't necessarily pick if it were up to us and we, we have another rv park uh across another street from us and so we're just surrounded by you know people who live in rundown rvs and you know i think of the parable that jesus talks about the parable of the wedding feast you know nobody showed up and the master of the feast said just go grab people off the street and bring them in you know if, if the people who are invited don't show up just go grab people and, and bring them in and that's kind of where i feel like we're at is that you know we've got these people all around us that that wouldn't be who we would intuitively pick but it's who God has put in front of us. And so we need lots of prayer that we would uh, be able to just kind of fight through our own uh, awkwardness and our own insecurities and our own thoughts of what's good and what's right and uh, that we would love literally our neighbors, the people that are all around us. And who knows what, what God might do to that. Um, you know, we have all these people that, that probably aren't going to help pay the bills, but that's not a problem for God. That may be a problem for us, our limited resources, but it's not a problem for God. And we just need to remember that, you know, doesn't matter. What matters is that we're delivering the good news to people who really in life are hopeless. And it should be an easy conversation to be able to share hope with people that don't have hope. And so if I could ask, you know, for prayer for anything, it would be that we would just be able to realize that, that we have hope and, and we have a mission to carry hope to people that don't have it. And it, it's kind of easy to think about hopping on a plane and going to Cambodia or going to Nepal for you guys and, you know, who cares if they think you're weird? Who cares if you offend them? You're never going to see them again, most likely. But the people across the street, you know, we, we see them every day, and they think you're weird, and then you see them the next day, it's awkward, and we have to fight through those insecurities and uh, just love who God puts in front of us. And that, that just seems to be a common theme of, of our prayers, just as we pray as a church that God would help us love the people that he puts in front of us. That we wouldn't, you know, it seems intuitive maybe to, you know, to pray, God, we need families. Or, God, we need you know, people that can help support us financially so we can continue to do what we do. And it seems intuitive to pray that, but we don't want to do that at the detriment of, of missing what's right in front of us. And so that's something that, we're, that we talk about a lot and that we're very cognizant of. So in short, that's kind of the update for Lapine. And, and what, what I wanted to get into and just give you guys some encouragement from the Word tonight is, uh, you know, we talk about this a lot too, is, you know, why, why do we think about these things? You know, why, why is a small church in, in Lapine uh, there's 20 churches in Lapine. There's 1,500 people and there's 20 churches. Uh, you know, why is it that we would, you know, what are we going to do that somebody else hasn't already done in the past or tried in the past? And, you know, is it kind of crazy to think that maybe God could or would add to our number when there's all these other churches that are struggling to keep their doors open? Is it, is it kind of crazy to think with the limited resources that we have, uh, some months, you know, we're concerned that the rent check might bounce, yet we're thinking about sending a group of people halfway across the world to Cambodia. And, and sometimes when you think about it, it just it seems kind of crazy, uh, maybe a little bit irresponsible even. 
And, and so we talk about that, like, you know, why, why in the world, you know, how, how do we know that, that God is leading us in this direction? Um, how do we know the kind of the line between faith and stupidity? Because sometimes it, it might be a fine line. And people in the course of history have done things in the name of faith that really were stupid. And so we don't want to be like that. And so, so how, how do we know? A while back, one of the first things I did when I got there is, is I, I did a 10-week series, or actually it turned into 12 weeks, about uh, just what is the church and, and why do we do the things we do and what has God called us to. And, and, and so I want to just kind of overview tonight, really quickly go through with you just kind of our thoughts on what is the church because it brings some context to, you know, why would we reach out to the unlovely of society? Why would we consider going halfway across the world? Why, why do we keep our doors open? And, and so, so I want to uh, just really go through briefly uh, and answer this question, what is the church, in the hopes that it will bring kind of some method to the madness, so to speak. So when you survey the Old Testament, in the beginning, God, God created. And, and we know how God created. He spoke creation in, into existence. God said, let it be. And it was. Right? God said, let there be light. And there wasn't light before. And God said, let it be. And then there was light. And there, there wasn't the earth, and God said, let it be, and it was there, and there wasn't plants, and there wasn't animals, and God said, let them be, and then they were. God, by his words, spoke into existence creation, and God created uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, created uh, the first people of humanity, and humanity didn't exist until God said, let it be, and all of a sudden, it was. A couple of chapters into the Bible, we see the humanity that God created rebelled against him. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over everything, over the entire world. And their job basically was to be the caretakers of God's creation. And it wasn't designed that they would have to, have to work hard and that they would have to sweat and toil to take care of this creation, but that they would maintain creation. And then they very quickly rebelled against God. And something profound to me in this, past, in this story is that when Adam and Eve rebelled, what did they do? They went and they hid from God. Which, knowing what we know about God, it seems ridiculous. Like, you can't hide from God, right? It seems kind of ridiculous that they would attempt to hide from God. But the Bible tells us that God came down and he was walking through the garden. And he called out to Adam and Eve and he said, where are you? And something that hit me not long ago, just what I never really thought about before, is why did God ask, where are you? Did God not know? It was like, was God trying to find Adam and Eve? God, God knew exactly where they were. God wasn't asking because he didn't know. The question wasn't for his benefit. The question was for the benefit of Adam and Eve. And it, was, it shows that God lovingly pursuing his creation who was in rebellion against him by him asking the question, where are you? God, God didn't come busting through the bushes, finding them and, you know, grab them by the neck. You know, what did you do? God was walking through the garden and he just lovingly called out and said, where are you? The creator lovingly pursuing a rebellious creation. What an incredible thing that is. Fast forward to Genesis 12 and God, God called Abram. We, we now know him as Abraham, but before he was Abraham, he was Abram. God called Abram. He told Abram, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Matter of fact, you're, you're going to be such a great nation that you'll have more descendants than there are stars in the sky, more descendants than there is sand on the seashore. In other words, you won't even be able to count. We can count a lot of things today, right? If you've, if you've noticed, as time goes on, numbers tend to get bigger, right? Because technology increases, and we can count a lot. 
And God tells Abram that you're going to have so many descendants throughout the course of time that, that you're not going to be able to count them. And God calls Abraham. He tells Abraham, I want you to pack up your things and go. Go that way. And Abraham, he didn't argue. He packed up his things and he went the way that God told him to go. And in God's endeavor to make a nation, read through the Old Testament what happened. The nation of Israel rebelled against God. So God, God created two people and called them into relationship, and those two people in no time rebelled against him. And so then God, through Abram, called a nation into existence. The nation of Israel didn't exist before God called them. God called through Abraham, and all of a sudden, now there's a nation that wasn't there before. There's a people that wasn't there before. They were created by the call of God. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see this people that God continues to lovingly pursue, just like in the garden with Adam and Eve calling out, where are you? Throughout the Old Testament, God continues through his prophets to pursue the nation of Israel. And then we get to the New Testament, and God ultimately sends his son Jesus. So God starts off with two people. They rebel. God calls a nation. They rebel. The New Testament comes along. God sends his son. He sends Jesus, again, lovingly pursuing this rebellious creation, asking, where are you? He sends Jesus... We read through the book of Acts and we see that the gospel is no longer exclusive to ethnic Jews. The gospel is no longer exclusive to those who would subscribe to the moral code of the Jews. But the gospel goes outside of the Jews and into the Gentiles, to the heathens, to us. And, and so God calls two people, they rebel. God calls a nation, they rebel. God calls the world. And the world rebels against God and we continue to rebel against God. But in all of this, God is speaking things into existence that didn't previously exist. Adam and Eve didn't exist until God spoke them into existence. Israel didn't exist until God spoke it into existence. A people for God's own possession, as Peter tells us, didn't exist until God called it into existence. And so, so what does this have to do with, with the question, what is the church? Well, we see from the very beginning of, of what we have recorded in Scripture that God, God speaks things into existence that previously didn't exist. God calls a people that he desires to show love to and grace and mercy that he desires to have relationship with. And this people continue to rebel against him. I mean, this, this is a saga. If you think about going through Scripture, like this, you can't write a story this good. This, this is a saga that would make an incredible movie. Acts chapter 2, 2.42, you guys are familiar with this passage. The Holy Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches the gospel to people from all over the world. And the Holy Spirit falls, and, and all of a sudden the church, which previously didn't exist, comes into existence at the proclamation of the word of God. And so three things in relation to the church I just briefly want to look at. And this is just a statement I wrote in answer to what is the church, and so I just wrote that the church is the people chosen by God who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus and are purposed with displaying and declaring the gospel to the whole world. So, so I just want to hit on three things. The people chosen by God, people purchased by the blood of Jesus, and people purposed with displaying and declaring the gospel to the world. And so first the church is the people who have been chosen by God. <clears throat> it, it's been said, and I'm sure you've heard it, that if you were the last person on earth, or the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you. And that's true, but while true, it sells the gospel short. Jesus didn't die for you. 
Jesus died for us. Jesus died for the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 27 says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so I think a more biblical understanding would be not to say that, that if I were the last person on earth, Jesus loved me so much that he died for me. Again, that, that's true, but it, but it falls short of really what the gospel is. Jesus died for the church. He gave himself for the church. He gave his life for all of those who would be chosen by God, all of the people that God would choose, all of those that would come to Christ in faith and in repentance. Titus chapter 2 says that Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Again, not the individual, but a people. Jesus gave himself for a people. 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul writes this, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So Paul kind of defines the church. He writes this letter and he says, this letter is to the church of God in Corinth. And then he defines the church as those who are sanctified in Christ. Those who are called to be saints, not just in Corinth, but together with all of those who in every place, past, present, future, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the church isn't, isn't a group of individuals that come together, but, but the church is, is an organism. Church is a living and active organism, and Jesus died for the church. Jesus tells Peter in Matthew 16 that he will build his church, that Jesus will build his church, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus doesn't say that the gates of hell won't prevail against you, or you, or you, or you, but it won't prevail against the church. The gates of hell won't prevail against us. And so I think a more biblical perspective as we realize that the church is a group of people who have been chosen by God, not individually, but collectively, that, that it lends us to a greater understanding of what the church is. The gospel isn't good news for a bunch of individuals. God didn't deliver his son to die, so something that was okay could be a little better. When God created, he made something out of nothing. The church didn't exist before God created it. God, like he spoke into existence, all of creation, like he spoke into existence the first two people. When he spoke into existence a nation. He spoke into existence the church. God created something entirely new when the church was born. It didn't exist before. And so God didn't send his son Jesus to die so he could make something that was already there and that was already doing okay just a little bit better. God created a whole new thing at the birth of the church. And God filled the church with people, not, not that were the lovely people of the world, not who were the people that you and I would intuitively choose to be a part of the church, but like that parable of the wedding feast, when the invited guests didn't show up, right, it, it's open to anybody off the street who would come and they would get to partake in the feast. And this is a, a picture of the gospel being available to anybody who would have faith and who would repent, who would repent and believe. And so God spoke into existence the church, not just for the Jew or not just for the religious, 
but for the Gentile, for the irreligious. And so the gospel, it's good news, but it's not just good news for me. It's not just good news for you. It's good news for all of us. The gospel is good news for the world, but, but the church, the gospel is good news for the church. The church is people who were purchased by the blood of Jesus. In Acts 20, when Paul is giving his address to the Ephesian elders, he encourages them to care for the church of God, he says, which he, meaning Jesus, obtained with his own blood. So not only did, did God speak into existence the church, but Jesus purchased the church at the cost of his own blood. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. Everything was created by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, and he's the one that holds the universe together. You know, I said earlier, like, numbers keep getting bigger. Well, the universe keeps getting bigger because we just can see more of it as we have better technology. The universe is huge. I mean, we can't even fathom how big the universe is. And we're told that it's Jesus who holds that all together. That's incredible. And right on the heels of being told that it's Jesus who holds it together... Paul says that he's the head of the body, the church. That doesn't seem to fit. Like, Jesus is over everything. He's created everything. Everything's for him, by him, through him. He holds it all together. Oh, and, and he's the head of the church. That, that gives some significance to the church. Not that you and I hold significance, but the church holds significance because it came at the cost of the blood of Jesus who holds the universe together. The price that was paid for the church is great, and that's the thing that gives it value. If I were to come up to one of you and say, I've got a million dollars, give me the shirt that you're wearing right now, and I'll give you a million dollars, that doesn't make the shirt necessarily, like the value isn't in the shirt. The value is in, in where I value it, and if I'm willing to give you a million dollars for your shirt, that makes it worth a million dollars. Right? The church isn't valuable in that those who are a part of it hold much significance compared to the creator of the universe, but the church has value because of what was given for it. And what was given for the church was the blood of Jesus. And so the church, the people of God, have value, not because it's intrinsic to us, but because Jesus values the church. Therefore, the church is valuable. The church is the people chosen by God, purchased with the blood of Jesus, and finally purposed with displaying and declaring the gospel to the world. And so this is, this is the reason for the method to the madness. Okay, so it's, it's all well and good that the church is comprised of the people of God. It's all well and good that, that Jesus purchased the church with his blood in submission to the will of his Father. But why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, what's the end? What's the end game here? And the end game is that as Christians, we've been given a purpose to display and to declare the gospel or to embody and to proclaim the gospel, to show the gospel with our lives and to speak the gospel with the words that come out of our mouth. The passage you might be familiar with, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people... 
for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Notice that, that Peter doesn't stop after saying that you're, you're chosen and you're royal and you're holy and you're a people for God's own possession. If Peter stopped there, that, that makes us feel pretty good. Right? That, that's exciting. But, but Peter doesn't stop there. He says, you are these things so that because you are these things that you would go on to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then Peter reminds us, he says, once you were not a people. The church didn't exist before God made it exist. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And if you don't know, this is a, this is a reference to the, the story of Hosea. And it's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. If you know the story, God, God called Hosea. Hosea was a prophet. And God called Hosea to marry a woman who would be a prostitute. And he told him ahead of time, you're going to marry a woman. She's going to be unfaithful to you. Not just once, not twice, but over and over and over and over and over again. But marry her. So he married her, and, and true to God's word, she was unfaithful to him, lived a life of prostitution. And God comes to Hosea again, and he says, I want you to go buy your wife back out of this life of prostitution. She was already his wife, and God knew that. But he said, I want you to go pay the price, even though she's rightfully yours, go pay the price so that you can purchase her out of this life of prostitution. And Hosea did it. And Hosea is not a hero in this story. This is, this is a type of Jesus showing us an example of Christ in this. You, you and I are the unfaithful wife. Hosea is Jesus, our Savior. Right? We have to get that part of the story right. But in this story, in, in this life that Hosea lived with his wife, Gomer, they had two children. One of the children, God said, I want you to name this one not my people. Imagine growing up with that name. Hey, what's your name? I'm Bob. Hey, what's your name? I'm not my people. Then this other one, he says, I want you to name No Mercy. Grow up with these names being not my people and No Mercy. And, and the story goes on that, that Hosea purchases his wife out of this life of unfaithfulness and he loves her because she's not deserving of it, but he loves her anyway. And then, then God says, remember this child that I told you to name not my people? Well, you can change their name to now my people. And this child that I told you to name No Mercy, you can change their name to Mercy. It's this really neat story, a picture of the gospel. I think one of the most incredible pictures of the gospel in all of Scripture. And Peter references this in the context of saying, you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're a people that belongs to God. But because you didn't used to be any of those things, because you used to be prior to faith and repentance in Christ, prior to that, you used to be like Gomer, like this wife of Hosea, living a life of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Not just a little unfaithful, but purposefully unfaithful over and over and over and over. Peter has to remind us of that. That once that used to be us, and because we weren't a people, and God graciously made us a people, and because we weren't under mercy, and God graciously has shown us mercy, that it begs a response, and the response that it begs is that we would go into the world and say, God is gracious, and God is merciful, and you as someone who's not God's people, there's a way that you can be God's people. And you who haven't experienced mercy, there's a way to experience mercy. We can almost read this passage backwards. And it might make a little more sense if we read it backwards by saying that once you weren't a people and now you're God's people, once you hadn't received mercy, now, you're, now you've received mercy because of those things that you're mandated, you're purposed with proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light because you're a chosen race, because you're a royal priesthood, because you're a holy nation, because you're a people for God's own possession. In other words, because you're the church, this is how the church should live. Not, not, out, of, not out of guilt, not, not because anybody says this is just what you have to do, not out of obligation, but because of God's mercy in your life, because God turned you into something that you didn't used to be. Or rather, God changed you from what you did used to be. God changed you from a prostitute, so to speak, and has turned you into somebody who's been given mercy, from someone that didn't belong to him that now belongs to him. And that begs a response. And any response other than saying, I have to take this news into the world, any response other than that is not a right response to the gospel. Lastly, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And if you've read through that portion of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with in in chapter 12 and chapter 14, spiritual gifts in the church, and things were getting kind of charismatic, crazy, and Paul felt the need to address this. And in the middle of addressing spiritual gifts, in, in the middle of addressing the role in the church of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, if you want to see a manifestation of the Spirit, right, whatever that means to you, I'm sure you all have an idea in your mind when, when we talk about a manifestation of the Spirit. I'm sure you have in your mind what that means. But Paul says, if you're eager to see that, if you're eager to see a manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And there's nothing weird about that. There's nothing crazy about that. Maybe it's crazy in that it's, it's unexpected. But, but Paul is equating a manifestation with the Spirit in the church building up itself. And, and we know, and I know we've taught here before, that, that God gives all of us gifts, gives us abilities for a purpose. And that purpose, first and foremost, is to build up the church, to edify the church, to build up the body. And so to kind of bring, bring this full, full circle from the beginning, you know, what, why in the world would we... Uh, a small church of old people with no money think about going halfway across the world to help orphans that we may never see again. It's because the gospel begs this kind of a response. And, and we, we don't just go halfway across the world to, to carry hope. We can carry hope across the street. If we only go across the world and never across the street, it's disingenuous. If we only go across the street and we never go across the world, it's kind of selfish. If we wouldn't be willing to step outside of our comfort zones, if we wouldn't be willing to to sacrifice some of our time and some of our resources. In one sense, it's kind of easy to walk across the street because it doesn't cost us any money. Right? Going halfway around the world, that, that costs a lot of money and, and time off of work. And so not only are you spending money, but you're not making money when you're taking time off. And so it's kind of this double whammy. And so there, there's a sacrifice there. But it's cool because you get to go on this cool trip. Right? And, and so if we just do one or the other, it, it, there, there's this disingenuous air about it that, that maybe, maybe we haven't quite understood the message of the gospel. We as Christians carry the hope of the gospel everywhere we go, whether across the street, whether across an ocean, down the road, wherever we work, whatever we do, wherever we go, wherever we say. And, and I stand up here saying this knowing that I, I fail miserably every day. Every day. You probably do too. I'm guessing you're not a lot unlike me, and I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on anybody. I'm not here to do that at all. <clears throat> but, but it's interesting how Paul in this, this 
1 Corinthians passage equates a manifestation of the Spirit with, with excelling at building up the church as we love and support and care for and encourage one another. Just like, it's like our guy Jimmy a few weeks ago standing up in front of the body saying, I'm scared to death and I need help. Somebody come with me to do this. this was, that was building up the church. That was in that moment a manifestation of the Spirit. Because he's realizing, he's, he's coming into the reality of, of his own sinfulness and in light of his sinfulness, God's mercy and God's grace and saying, I, I have to respond to this by telling somebody about it. And not only telling somebody about it, but encouraging the rest of the church, this is how we need to live. And I don't mind leading the way, but I need somebody to help me. <laughs> That's why that was such an incredible moment. And, and, and I know you guys know this, and I know you guys believe this. There was, part of me, as I was thinking about this today, thought, you know, this is, maybe people have heard this before, and I don't know, but we just the Lord kept drawing me back to this, is giving encouragement to you guys to continue to excel at, building up the church, not to make the church great. That's not the purpose of the building up of the church. Building up the church is for the purpose of declaring the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So making much of God. We, we don't make God great. He's great apart from us. We don't add to or take away from that, but, but we reflect his goodness and reflect his greatness as we build up the church, as we encourage one another, as we do awkward things like walking across the street and striking up hard conversations as we sacrifice our time and our resources to go halfway across the world. It, it doesn't even matter. What, what matters is that as we go through life that we carry the hope of the gospel wherever God gives us opportunity to go. And some of us, God's never going to give us an opportunity to go anywhere but to work every day, and that's okay. For some of us, God's going to give an opportunity to hop on a plane and go somewhere else, and that's okay. But what matters is that we carry the hope of the gospel everywhere we go in everything that we do and with everything that we say because we're the church and that's the, that's the whole purpose for the existence of the church is to do just that. So there's a lot more I could say, but for the sake of time, I'll leave it there tonight. <laughs> um, appreciate you guys letting us come and share with you and share updates on how things are going on in Lapine. We'd love for any of you guys to come down and visit us anytime. Several of you guys have been uh, and we, we love to see you guys and so feel free to come down anytime and uh, join us for a service. I know our people would love it. They, uh, they ask about Prineville all the time and how things are going, even though you don't know all of them and they don't know all of you. Uh, I, I give regular updates on what's going on here to the people down there because they want to know. And so we, we feel very closely connected to you guys, even though we all don't know each other. So we would love for you guys to continue to pray for us and love the continued support and would love to see smiling faces anytime anybody would want to come down and see us. <laughs>